greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Al. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. The price is wrong, bitch. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And on this week's episode of the podcast, it's going to be a little bit different than our 
normal set of stuff. Obviously, if you saw my post on Facebook or Twitter, we're doing a little bit special, uh, more focused on some TV shows reviews uh, for this episode. And then we'll have a special episode releasing on Friday for Valentine's Day. Um, Now, for the first part of this uh, episode, I'm joined by uh, a a special co-host, Leslie, who I work with. Uh, Because we are both Star Trek nerds, and we have been looking forward to Star Trek Picard for a long time now. So say hello to everyone, Leslie. Hey, I'm very (laughs) excited. (laughs) I am, too, because I have no one I can really talk Star Trek to, uh, except, like, kind of my parents, and they're not even that big into Star Trek. and same. And uh, my co-host, Pat, uh, he hates Star Trek. He's straight all Star Wars, so... Uh, I knew I wasn't going to be able to get him to watch the show at all, nor would he get any of the references or kind of throwbacks to uh, any of the original stuff. So I'm really excited to kind of nerd out uh, about this uh, with you. Yes. Um, So we're going to cover the first three episodes, and I'm going to warn uh, ahead of time that there will most likely be spoilers in this discussion as, you know, one, first two episodes have already been on for uh, two weeks and the third episode just aired and it's kind of hard when talking about TV to not talk spoilers, especially when you're doing multi episode conversations. Uh, so if you haven't watched them, go check it out streaming on uh, CBS all access uh, it played the trailer obviously before the intro. And if that didn't get you interested enough into it, then there's something wrong with you. Uh, so episode one is titled remembrance and The premise of it uh, is that at the end of the 24th century and 14 years after his retirement from Starfleet, Jean-Luc Picard is living a quiet life on his vineyard, Chateau Picard. When he is sought out by a mysterious young woman, Dodge, in need of his help, he soon realizes she may have personal connections to his own past. Now, I know you and I were talking about the trailer uh, when it released originally, and you had some thoughts about about Dodge. And uh, why don't you go ahead and kind of talk about what you thought from the trailer, not from what we've already kind of uh, found out from these episodes, but what you were concerned what they were going to do with her. Right, right. Yeah, when I first watched the trailer, the very first thing that popped into my head was, hasn't the girl born yesterday trope kind of been really overdone? And I was really worried about that. Like, you know, here's the girl. She's technically, quote unquote, born yesterday. And suddenly she can do all this stuff and she knows everything. And she's like central to the plot and that it was just going to go like way off the rails, you know, into, I don't know, even like the social justice warrior thing and like female power. Woo. And it was like, (laughs) it looked good, but I was concerned. Yeah, I I think I I was a little concerned, too. Um, I wasn't too sure what they were going to do because I was a little worried that they were going to do like this, like a long lost granddaughter or something for Picard uh, or something that just didn't wasn't going to make sense. But fortunately, I think you and I both were satisfied with what they did with the episode and what they're continuing to do. Um, You know, I, I think that it opened up perfectly because we open up with the nice space Vista and we see the enterprise D and we get 10 forward again. And yeah, we, they're playing poker. Mm-hmm. I really liked that little touch. Cause they like, they ended um, next generation, you know, that last episode, they're all sitting down playing poker. Yeah. He's playing poker with data. And I, I can't remember, uh, but I think this did come up in, in Next Generation, but not necessarily from Picard, but other people kind of picking up on the fact that Data doesn't have a tell is a tell. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I did like that. And I also thought that 
Brent Spiner for being as old as he is now and not being as like, you know, thin as he was when they were shooting that in the 80s and 90s still looks pretty good for data. Like they did a yeah, pretty did. good job with his makeup. Um, and so we're in this kind of dream sequence and we see that like Picard doesn't want this to end. Uh, we we obviously we know it's a dream because of the fact that it's the Enterprise D and we know that that was destroyed in generations. Uh, but then we see something kind of happen and all of a sudden Data's gone and Picard is looking and they're at Mars and all of a sudden we're seeing the destruction of Mars. And at this point, we have no idea what that means, if that's a future event or if it's a past event. Uh, but then we have him waking up in Chate uh, Chateau Picard with, of course, his dog, number one, which is, I think, probably the best name he could have named for, for a dog. <laughs> yeah, uh, probably. And uh, so we get that kind of like little views of, of the chateau and whatnot. And then we're finally introduced to Dodge. And um, now this is interesting because I, I kind of caught this on my rewatch. And I don't know if you, you picked up on this, but she's talking to her boyfriend about being accepted at the Daystrom Institute and that she's going to be working on artificial intelligence and quantum consciousness. But why would she be working on that because synthetics, we find out, are banned later on in the episode. I mean, I guess, like, we see later later on, not to jump too far ahead, that they still do have kind of a synthetic research uh, division, but they only work theoretically. But it seems like when Dodge is talking about it, that it's, like, important work in artificial intelligence. And I don't know if you noticed that or not. Um, I didn't really, I guess, because like you said, when we go further into the episode, we see, um, Agnes, uh, I don't remember what her last Girati. name is, uh, but we see her and they're still like doing that theoretical research. I guess it kind of seems to me kind of like uh, theoretical physics or something. It's not, they can never actually test anything, mm -hmm. but it's still very important to continue working on. Yeah, I guess, I guess that could be it. It just like, it, it was weird. Like I made, made me scratch my head. Like I know I didn't catch it the first time around cause I like wasn't really paying attention too hard in that scene. Uh, but the second time around knowing everything from the next two episodes and whatnot, uh, that it's like, oh, that's a little curious because, you know, when we find out that she is a synthetic shortly after this kind of conversation uh, and Bruce Maddox involvement later on, it, it was this an intentional kind of plant to maybe revive, you know, research or try to revive the kind of synthetic uh, race again, in a sense. Um, yeah. You know, we'll, we'll find that out because we're definitely given plenty of questions uh, that are not all answered, but we're slowly getting pieces to it. Um, but as they're having this nice little conversation, we have this secret kind of task force, which at the time we don't know who they are. We don't know what species they are. We don't know if they're section 31 or any type of kind of other outside force from Starfleet. Uh, they kill her boyfriend. Uh, they've got her down to the ground. They put this kind of thing on her and they say she's not activated yet, but shortly after she does become activated. It's like, as soon as they put a hood over her head, she just like activates. And I was kind of think it's like it's almost like when you put a you know cover over a bird's cage bird's cage to convince them oh. it's night to fall asleep like is that kind of what triggers it or is it the intense fear or knowing her life is in peril that all of a sudden I think it's that intense fear and stress I do too so I, I think that that's kind of where where it is and one other note I kind of had here and I, and I kind of go I, I don't know why I thought about it but I was like the bad fake blood 
that's under uh, the boyfriend when she's like checking on his body after she eliminates that like entire task force. Um, and I didn't think like the knife where the knife penetrates, like the blood wouldn't have necessarily seeped from his back. But I don't know. That's just a tiny little thing that kind of annoy me. But we also see her kind of have this vision of Picard. And I have to wonder, like, because we don't know why Picard is important to Dash and, and later on in the show. Uh, who implanted that? Was it an implant? Like, is Bruce Maddox, uh, who we come to find out about later on in the episode, is he the reason why that implant is there? Uh, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. I didn't really have so much thoughts on that as we do later in the episode with the parents. Okay. So I'll just hold on to that. Okay. Um, and then, you know, we kind of, uh, we, we move on. We're getting more of a detailed view of Chateau Picard. Uh, we see him kind of walk in the fields. Number one kind of brings him a dead bird. But we're also now introduced to Jaban and Laris, who are two Romulan refugees. And I really do like these two characters a lot. Um, you know, we kind of get the impression that they're just kind of caretakers. They kind of just are helping him out. Uh, he managed to save them. I think this was canon in the old Countdown comic before the 2009 uh, movie um, that kind of like rebooted the franchise. But they were introduced in that comic, and I guess that they've kept them over. But a lot of that comic, I guess, is now non-canon. But I really did like them a a lot. And uh, you made an interesting uh, point, and I had this thought too, but I want you to make the point of who Laris reminds you of. Oh, yes. When I first saw her, like her character design, the way that she looks, it just really reminded me of the Romulan commander from the original series. And I looked up the episode, it's titled The Enterprise Incident. And I went back, I checked just to make sure that wasn't the same actress and it's not, (laughs) but she has that same dark hair. Her makeup is kind of similar the way even they did her eyebrows. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of, I really like small touches like that, that kind of harken back without it being like in your face, we're making a, you know, here's an Easter egg for you. Right, right. And, you know, because it was funny because like I we never talked about that when we talked about the the show at work. But you and I both had that same thought. Like I didn't go back and and double check it, but it did like go right in my mind going, oh, my gosh, this looks exactly like that actress. And I think it's because they have like a lot of the same facial structure, like the kind of same like long nose, pointed chin, very yeah. angular face that it just like everything with when them doing the eyebrows, like makes it look very spot on. Um, and so we're also um, understanding that uh, he's doing an interview for the first time, uh, Picard, if to basically the, the the Federation or Starfleet or whatever, uh, talking about the the incident with uh, the supernova. It's kind of the anniversary of when the uh, now this is different from the 2009 movie um, and the show. But I, I take this into account for the fact that, like, because of the 2009 movie, there's a change in the timeline for the Kelvin timeline. We're working in the prime timeline. So I, I'm accounting for some inconsistencies that way. Yeah. Um, but that the Romulan sun goes supernova, whereas in the in the 2009 movie, it was another star that went supernova uh, that then it just hit them uh, quickly. So uh, it's a little small detail about that. But they there was this kind of contention that like 
the Federation wanted to help out the Romulans, but then um, you have the synthetic revolt, and now you have the Federation and Starfleet like not wanting to help them out, and kind of Picard taking some actions, and he makes a, a really good reference to Dunkirk, and I wanted to talk a little bit mm-hmm. about Dunkirk if um, people weren't familiar about it, uh, that it was the Dunkirk evacuation in World War II, uh, it was the evacuation of Allied soldiers during World War II from the beaches and harbor of Dunkirk in the north of France between 26th of May and 4th of June of 1940. Uh, and it was commenced after a large number of Belgian, British, and French troops were cut off and surrounded by German troops during the six-week Battle of France. And so it, it was kind of a good uh, good reference like for Picard to make, and it's totally understandable why this like interviewer wouldn't know history. Um, so I, I did like that because it kind of brought a real world sense to it. Cause like with, you know, Star Trek, it is supposed to like, quote unquote, be our future after some very horrible events. So it still kind of grounds it in reality this way. Yeah. Um, now of course, like I was saying, we, we learn about the synthetic rebellion on Mars, which led to a ban on synthetics. And we still don't quite know, even at three episodes in, we don't exactly know what caused this this uh, revolt? Um, what caused them to kind of turn on uh, people and basically destroy Mars and the Utopia Planitia um, shipyards? Uh, but it allowed, um, or it didn't allow, but this was where Picard said, I can't be with Starfleet any, any longer. It is no longer the Starfleet that he knows. And also at this time, this is when Dodge sees Picard on the on the TV for the first time. And now she has a reference to the image she had in her mind after she activated. Um, so now we're of course, now we're jumping a little bit later back on. Dodge uh, arrives at um, a Chateau, uh, Chateau Picard. And this was uh, a thing that I, I I know I talked to you about because this yeah. particular reviewer kind of <clears throat> annoyed me a little bit with this kind of overlooked detail because he was uh, complaining that the dog didn't even bark at Dodge and just immediately <laughs> was like, oh, I'm all good with Dodge. But no, number one barks, actually growls yeah. first and then barks. Yeah, he runs up to her barking. Yeah. And then he stops. Right. And, and then Picard makes the makes the point also later on that, like, if if. And I apologize if you hear a certain dog moaning right now uh, on the recording. She wants again to be out here uh, joining. And so I thought it was uh, a little bit, um, you know, telling that like if because some people are kind of coming at at the show from a a different type of perspective, kind of like what we've talked about with Star Wars in the past, um, where they have to find things that they don't like about it or because they've taken this one stance, they, they are sticking to it. And so they're trying to kind of find things wrong with everything. Now I do have to give him credit cause he still enjoyed the episode, but some of the things just weren't working for him. And it really annoyed me when I heard him do his review because I just watched the episode. I'm like, I'm pretty sure number one barked at her. So I was very happy to have that uh, proven correctly to me. So Dodge is kind of explaining about how everything that happened to her and how uh, all of a sudden it felt like she knew what she had to do. Um, and it just like it was just like lightning striking ground. And she also asked him, like, does he know who she is? And he obviously has uh, no no idea who she is at all. Um, 
And then we're treated to another another dream uh, with Data. And this time they're in their old uniform. I, I forgot to mention that Data was kind of in the, the uniforms that they were wearing near the end of DS9 and uh, for the latter half of the uh, Next Generation movies that they did. And that's my favorite uniform. But uh, they this time, and I don't know if there's a significance to this. Uh, maybe it's a, a theme for Picard's memory to be like, hey, look here, like this is when you were on the Enterprise D or what. But he's painting a picture and he's asking uh, Picard to finish it. But Picard says he doesn't know how. Um, but we get another another cool moment. Um, he wakes up and then he uh, sees that he has the painting and from his dream on his mantelpiece, but there's no face to the painting. It's looking away. Um, and we're informed that Dodge has, has left uh, without informing anybody, which I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. Do you know why? Because like I there was nothing that happened within the scene or sequences that like made me think that like she was putting Picard in danger by being there. Do you yeah, have there thoughts? wasn't there wasn't anything like that to me either. I just I don't know if you're just thinking about it in terms of like, well, she's a young person who's just really freaked out and scared and, you know, everything is just stressing her out more. But, yeah, there was no reason in my head to think that, like, oh, people are just going to randomly show up and, like, follow her everywhere. Right. So it seemed a little odd. Maybe it was just to further the plot along. But uh, we do get Picard going uh, to his, like, his own archives, which I found really interesting. I wouldn't think that. Yeah. Captains or admirals would have their own archives, but it, it's still pretty cool, too. Uh, and uh, I know I'll probably end up getting the name wrong for Data's daughter from Next Generation. But did the Lol. yeah, lol. did Index look like lol to you? I know it's not the same actress, but didn't she look a little bit like lol before? Like she had the final touches to looking human. Uh, maybe like a little bit. Yeah. I think it was mostly like in the way that the actress was portraying the index, okay. you know, like the robotic movements and stuff. Right. Like not fully human yet. Yeah. Yeah. It just like it's I, I knew it wasn't her, but like for some reason my mind went there. Uh, and this is one other thing that you and I were talking about. Now I think about it, uh, especially in the context of later episodes, because we talk about the synthetic bands and we were wondering about like um, holograms and the holograms, like the, the yeah. EMH. And I don't, I don't think either one of us really like thought about index at that time, but uh, I know I made the comment like, well, they're holograms that they can't really have too much of a physical impact on certain things within the real world. Whereas the synthetics could like actually manipulate like screens or s some such, but we wondered about the, the EMH from Voyager and whatnot. Um, so uh, it's, it's really interesting to see where they're kind of drawing the line on this synthetic band. Like, would they use any type of robotics that don't have any higher type of AI because then they don't have to worry about them losing control over them. It's, it's really right. weird. And it's, it's really interesting to wonder where are they drawing that line? Because I mean, as any good Star Trek fan knows, we have holodeck episodes where these holodeck characters are taking over the entire ship, like right. um, Moriarty in yes. the next generation. So it's like, how, where do you split the line on this hologram? Isn't sentient enough to be banned, you know, or are they like super limiting the reach of the holograms, like within the computer? You know what I mean? It, it could be. Cause like, even I think index said that, she could only go so far. Uh, now, gr granted, you have the hollow emitters and she does show up in the archive when he calls for her. 
but like maybe they've limited even more their reach like maybe they've dumbed it down a little bit more just to be safe or they've put extra safeguards on like the on ships because of enterprise and and all the situations they had uh with the holodeck there it's it's like maybe overthinking the situation a little <laughs> bit but it, it is interesting to kind of wonder where they draw that line but as we enter picard's archives i loved seeing the stargazer model um we got yeah. to see the captain picard day sign um and we got to see a couple other things there was a batleth uh and there was i think even there was a model of the enterprise e but they didn't quite fully show it and then they showed the captain's yacht uh which is from i believe insurrection um but it was really cool to kind of see all those little things but he, he has the uh painting um kind of I, I don't know it's it's replicated but it's not replicated uh but it's it is the painting and Dodge is the painting like that. Her face is the face of the person within the paint painting. Um, so it all still kind of leads into this why Picard. Um, and then we're also seeing, and this, this stuck out to me too, because like she was in France for Chateau Picard. We don't know. Oh, I guess she was still in France. No, no, this makes sense. Yeah, because the, the Eiffel Tower is in the background. Yeah, I was, I'm being stupid because I'm like, oh, it's dark when she's calling her mom, but it's daylight like five seconds later when she goes to visit Picard and Picard's probably in San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> so it's like now it makes sense to me. But uh, my, my thing is like because when she calls her mom, her mom's like, you know, you have to go to Picard without even Dodge mentioning, you know, Picard's name. And I also have this kind of question is, um, is the mother real? Like, yes, that is what I wanted to know as well. Right. Cause like, especially with episode three, with something that happens there, which we'll get to in a little bit. Um, there's something definitely artificial about her, but we, we get that more so on later on, but like, there's just something that's not, not right with the mother. Um, I wonder if it's all just part of the programming, like Dodge has that memory of her father. Um, you know, so I wondered, are they all just fake and it's in her head and she's not actually messaging anybody. She's like sitting there probably looking like she's talking to herself on her communicator or whatever, right. but only she can see it. Right. And so she, uh, she ends up, you know, doing this crazy kind of like search and uh, really quickly, like, you know, her mother tells her like, close your eyes and focus. And all of a sudden she's got some type of screen up and she's doing a geographical search for Picard figures out where he is and uh, teleports uh, to hit to his location. And uh, Picard and her have a talk and like, he's mentioning, you know, like about data and, uh, having this um, special connection with with data and that like somehow for some reason Dodge is important to data or by da by data painting that Dodge is important to Picard, but we still don't know the reason exactly why. Uh, but then we have kind of the secret infiltrators kind of show up again. Uh, we do get kind of the uh, old man Picard moment for, for a second <laughs> Uh, cause like they're running and he is just out of breath. And for a man in his late seventies, I think is how old Patrick Stewart is. Um, you know, it, it would make sense. Um, and, uh, we see Dodge kind of, again, like take out a whole bunch of these, uh, people. We then discover that they are Romulans. And st again, we still don't know what their intent is. Um, 
And we get one moment where she has a disruptor from one of the Romulan uh, infiltrators or whatever you want to call them. Uh, And he now I know you and I both didn't quite catch this the first time. I caught it the second time watching it um, because I definitely paid attention the second time. Yeah, because because in the third episode, everything made sense to me. And it was so quick. If you weren't paying attention, you wouldn't catch it. But he does kind of like class down on a cast capsule or on his tooth to break like this acid containing thing he spits the acid onto the disruptor and onto her and the disruptor explodes killing dash and and now i don't know what you were thinking about that uh i know i was kind of like shocked because i was like well i thought this was going to be a main character to run through the entire uh uh, entire season and now she's gone what were your thoughts Yes, yeah, so like for first pass when I didn't go back and watch it, you know, again, first pass, I was like, well, that was really short. And I was just kind of like, OK, because I thought just like you, if she's going to be a main character. She's going to stick around. And then I thought, well, that's really quick for that actress, too. I like felt bad for the actress Same. as well. But um, my first thought, again, on that first pass, when the Romulan spit that stuff, I thought they had done something to the phaser or the disruptor itself that when it touched Romulan blood, it would explode. Yeah. And my, my thinking was like, he spit acid because I didn't catch that tooth thing. I was like, when did Romulans have acid blood? (laughs) You're right. Uh, But yeah, I thought, I thought, Oh, well, this is so short. And I was like, how are they ever going to, you know, hold a whole series if they're going to do them all kind of as one-offs. Right. And and so we we uh, we fortunately the, the show is not over yet. Uh, we have kind of Picard wakes back up at um, at Chateau Picard. Um, we are kind of learning that Dodge was a synthetic. He goes to the Daystrom Institute, um, meets Dr. Girardi, Agnes, uh, and they explain about Bruce Maddox was working on. Uh, creating synthetic and organic people uh, by using kind of data's neural net um, and positronic brain. And uh, but it wouldn't quite work. And that what they had tried to do is like they tried to use B4's remains um, because data, obviously, he died in Nemesis and he tried to download his basically his mind into B4, which was a predecessor before lore and uh, before data And we had a hint at the end of Nemesis that this was actually taking and that he would become Data. And then again, in that Countdown comic, like actually he was Captain Data. Um, And so now that's kind of again, I'll take into consideration that timeline stuff got kind of kind of screwed up by Spock going back into the past. Um, But they have B4's remains, but none of it would quite work yet somehow. Bruce Maddox, who you were the one to pick this up on who Bruce Maddox is, but we have, I have a theory, uh, since we haven't seen Bruce, uh, who Bruce Maddox might be, but that he created, um, twins. And so then we, um, we find out that there is a sister, an identical twin, uh, named Soji, who is working at the Romulan reclamation, um, 
site, which is we find out to be a Borg cube. And we're introduced to Narek, who I like to call Emo Romulan because of his hairstyle. <laughs> um, and so that's when we kind of understand more of like Dodge was meant to just introduce us to the idea of the synthetic organic uh, character, and then that we are now going to try to still uncover this mystery. But um, since you did the research on who Maddox was, uh, why don't you go ahead and enlighten the rest of us? Um, yeah. So in that first episode, I was hearing a lot of things that, oh, this sounds familiar to me, but I don't quite remember. Like I talked to you about before. I was like, it's kind of familiar, but I don't really remember. But I finally remembered who Bruce Maddox was, and I had to go look it up. He is in a couple of pivotal episodes for Data in The Next Generation. Probably the most pivotal one is The Measure of a Man. Mm -hmm. He is the one who comes, and he wants to actually take Data apart so that he can, like, take him apart, see how he's put together, and try and put him back together again. And he actually has a trial, or not really a court-martial, but it's just it's a trial to see whether or not Data is actually a sentient person or if he is the property of Starfleet because Starfleet found him. Right. And that's a really interesting episode. And then later on in the series, because Data, you know, of course, he doesn't have, quote, unquote, emotions. So he's, he doesn't hold anything against Bruce. And he continues to correspond with him and talk with him and help him with research. So there's a whole episode. It's that episode where um, Chief O'Brien and Keiko get married okay. called Data's Day. Yeah. And he's writing a letter to Bruce throughout that episode. Well, and so like one of one of my my theories is and, and that is uh, I, the measure of man is one of probably the best episodes of Next Generation because you have Riker who is trying who doesn't want to but has to try to prove that he is just a machine. And you have Picard doing the defense that he is more than machine. And it's just a very, very well done uh, episode. And um, but my big theory and, and we'll find out if this is true or not, it probably won't end up being true. It's just probably a fanboy's hope. But since we haven't seen Maddox yet, we haven't seen a picture of him. We haven't seen any type of references to him. We've not even had Agnes like say, oh, yeah, because of, you know, they became friends because of their relationship, because of the, their time on the Enterprise and their interactions, because um, she just says that they became friends after a fashion. My my theory or my thinking is what if it's Q and what if Q is doing this to try to pay back uh, Picard for every, like, for what Picard did throughout the run of Next Generation and proving to the Q continuum that humans deserve to live and uh, explore space. It's just, like, it's a big, long-shot theory. It's just because I really want John Delancey back as Q, uh, but it would be really great if it turns out that way. But I'm also very satisfied if it is really just that Bruce Maddox because... That's definitely tying it. It's honoring next generation canon. Uh, it's already pre-built to be understood why Maddox would necessarily do this and that he why he would use even like B4's remains to do that because he's basically getting the chance that he wanted in a measure of a man uh, just kind of in a more macabre way because it's just B4's remains. But uh, that wraps that up for the, about the first episode. Uh, we don't know exactly what's going on in the Borg cube at this time. Um, we don't know what Narek's purpose is, and we don't know what Soji is doing on on the um, Borg cube. But um, my my rating for this episode, and you're more than welcome to give a rating uh, if you want to. Um, I'm going to give it a 
I think a 4.5 out of 5. I didn't really have anything that that really bothered me. Um, it, it, it took its time. I think it was establishing enough there. There was enough action, and uh, but there was enough throwbacks and nice kind of little callbacks to Next Generation and, and key episodes uh, that I really enjoyed. So uh, I have to recommend it if you're a Star Trek fan. Yeah, I would probably... Like for myself, I'd probably just go ahead and give it a five. Okay. Just because it did it did exactly what it needed to for me, which I mean I don't want to cause anything problems on your podcast, uh, but I'll fine. go ahead and say I do not like Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> so for Picard, like it, it this first episode did for me everything it needed to to for me to want to continue to watch it and to enjoy it. You know, it had it had just enough of those little throwbacks to things. As far as special effects go, I never care when they improve special effects. That never bothers me. Right. And and for me, particularly, what stood out to me that I really, really loved in the first episode here was that it's Picard against the Romulans. Because throughout Next Generation, like, the Romulans and the Borg were kind of like his villains. Yes. You know, in the original series, Kirk was always going up against the Klingons. It was always something with the Klingons. So in this series that it's Picard and it's Romulans and it's also the Borg that got introduced there, like, and it's kind of this interesting interconnectedness, like, between them, I really, really like that. And as a fan, I really appreciated that. Yeah, and, and I, uh, I don't know if you'll cause any problems on the podcast because I really haven't, <laughs> I haven't talked about Star Trek Discovery, obviously, because, uh, you know, season two was over before I even launched the podcast. And, uh, and I know... I still watch it, but as you know, I, I talk to you about it all the times and the things that bother me about it. Uh, it, it just it takes a little too much liberty uh, with with the universe and the canon. Whereas this felt like it was maybe not a hundred percent a hundred percent respectful of next generation canon, but it was pretty darn good. Like, yeah, there was, it was good. Yeah, there was nothing that made me go, "Well, you disregarded this or you disregarded that." Like they. It, it does bother me that like before did not become data, but for the essence of the story that they're telling for this season, it makes sense to me. And that's again, just like something as a fan who loved data so much from the show and, and the movies who didn't want to see him die in nemesis. Uh, it's like, dang it. I really wish that had worked, but uh, I'm still very intrigued in the see where the rest of the season goes. We have, a 10 episode season. It's already been renewed for a season two. Uh, I don't expect it to be a long running show. Like I don't expect it to go another seven years, but if we get a decent, yeah. maybe three seasons out of it, I'll probably be very happy with it. Um, yeah. And as far as them being respectful too, they even kept like the actress for Dodge and Soji looks like law. Yeah. I mean, they could have gone off the walls if they wanted to and pick somebody totally who looks different or even of a different skin color or anything like that. But she's still kind of palish with the dark hair and looks just like wall that data created in the next generation. Right. And, and, uh, this was one thing, uh, uh, that also kind of bothered me too, was someone calling like Dodge and Mary Sue. Well, okay. Yeah, I get it. You, she's kind of all of a sudden like this superpower being, but she's also synthetic. Like, Data himself had superhuman strength and could do things that like no one else could do because of him being uh, synthetic. So right, it, it made sense. And then they it, and it served the purpose for what the story was setting up. Like 
they were only introducing her for this short period of time. And our focus now is going to be on Soji, who has no awareness whatsoever, who is vulnerable and not, uh, you know, strong or anything. She's very intelligent, but we don't see her at this kind of like, oh, you know, alpha level or omega powered level, uh, synthetic, like right off the bat, just beating everybody left and right. So we're going to see her kind of more grow into that role in the later episodes. Um, so, I think that's all we're going to say about episode one. And we're going to go ahead and move right into episode two. And I'm, I'm realizing we're already probably going to be in it for a really long episode just on talking <laughs> about these three episodes. So I might have to break up my other ones. But uh, I love talking about this, the show. Uh, so episode two is called Maps and Legends. And uh, the, the premise of this one is Picard begins investigating the mystery of Dodge as well as what her very existence means to the Federation. Without Starfleet support, Picard is left leaning on others for help, including Dr. Agnes Girardi and an estranged former colleague, Rafi Musiker. Didn't know that was her last name, but uh, meanwhile, hidden enemies are also interested in where Picard's search for the truth about Dodge will lead. And uh, so one thing that this episode does right off the top of the bat is it opens up on first contact day 14 years ago at the Utopia Planitia fields on Mars. Uh, which I thought was really great because we always heard about Utopia Planitia, but I don't think we ever like fully saw it. We might have gotten some glimpses in, I think, Voyager maybe. and Yeah, but we never actually got to like see the shipyards. Right. And so it was really cool to kind of see it. And I thought it looked all looked really good. Um, and so and I also like that it's first contact day. Like we never really hear them celebrate it. But when you go back and watch like Star Trek first contact, you know, and how like Jordy and everybody is all like, Oh my gosh, it's Zephram Cochran and it's first contact. Like it's coming up. Like they're all excited for it. We're actually seeing that now in, in their world and at at their current time. So it was kind of cool to see that. Um, but we're seeing the synthetic labor force, uh, kind of going about and doing their business. The local human workers kind of joke around with F eight and, uh, you know, make some jokes with them that of course, like, data when him not understanding humor on the enterprise, you know, doesn't get it. Uh, but then as they're eating uh, kind of lunch, we see kind of this eye flare happen with F eight. And all of a sudden everything starts going nuts. Like he's going and typing on the, uh, on the screens doing stuff. Uh, we see the kind of defense satellites turn to face down on Mars and, uh, other ships like lifting off and then shooting and destroying the base. Um, he kills his coworkers and eventually like, and I have this cause I feel like this is what it is. He basically commits suicide. And I feel like that is whoever, uh, you know, caused the, the up uprising or the rebellion, uh, wanted to erase any type of evidence that would lead back to whoever caused it. I don't know if you had yeah. thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Cause to me, especially like if you pause it right when they're doing that eye flash on F8's eyes, it definitely looks like there's code or something being either activated or downloaded into him at that second. Right. So I think they were just, they're just covering their tracks and just destroy all the evidence. Right. And so that kind of gives us kind of the back filler of like why the synthetics were banned Uh, and the disaster that happened uh, at Utopia Planitia. And then we're finally kind of back at at today at the the daytime. Uh, Now, if I I, pause you right there, though, 
I had one question from that mm-hmm. when all the synthetics are banned and they're talking about it being banned across the whole Federation. You're talking about thousands of different species. And I'm wondering, how do you ban synthetic life across the entire Federation? Well, like, what about the binars? You know, with the binars, that's that does bring in a very interesting piece into it. Um the binars they might have to leave alone or they had to leave the federation uh it would it would have to be one of those two two things because the binars being so technologically advanced and so integrated yeah. with their technology that i don't see that they could actually do that but i'm thinking more in the lines of synthetics in the, in the line of like these kind of data prototypes that any type of labor force or of whatever that they were using them for. And I, and I'm thinking that it was probably not something that was widespread throughout the Federation. I'm thinking it was something like Bruce Maddox being involved in it. And it was more of a, Hey, we're rolling this out. We're going to use them for a while and, and then see how it goes. And then, and that this would explain more why they would ban it immediately is if this had only been around for maybe five or so years and they're still kind of in a test phase and they might be like, OK, we're going to go ahead and widespread release synthetics out there uh, that then this happens. And then they're like, nope, nope, we nope this. We can't have this spreading across the Federation. We can't have this happening on thousands of planets, uh, you know, throughout the Federation and causing potential wars or problems like that. So I think that that's maybe where they drew the line is like this wasn't widespread yet. But yeah. now they've kind of put this in place so that it can't become widespread. Yeah, because I also just wondered, too, if if any of these other species that are part of the Federation that maybe we haven't had a real close look at, because I'll admit I haven't, like, read all of the books or comics or anything like that. But I just wondered, I'm like, hmm, you can't tell me that out of all of these races that at least one of them didn't have, like, you know, a little Roomba running around or something, <laughs> like a pre, like, you know, sort of synthetic, quote-unquote, robot, or like we have now, like, you know, the ones, or that one in Japan. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just like, how do you tell them, okay, you're no longer allowed to develop that technology on your own sovereign planet? Well, I, you know, I think it kind of goes into the line with, uh, you know, the, the scientists that developed data. Like, he was the only person throughout the known Federation that could develop that type of technology. And then after, you know, his death, uh, no one could create another data. And then, you know, Maddox managed to do it. But I, I, I maybe it's just that I agree. Like, it would be kind of stupid to think that statistically there wouldn't be another species out there that would develop that type of technology. But maybe for the sake of this world or this universe, it, it they haven't, um, the closest yeah, and then thing. I just kind of thought, well, maybe it was just kind of like a core world sort of a thing. Like there's not going to be any sense on any human planet, any Vulcan one, right. You know, sort of a thing. And it could be like, maybe even just like a level of synthetic, like it could be like maybe basic robotics would be fine. Like if it has no real functioning brain, uh, it's just like it's programmed with one task only and it does that task. And like you said, like a Roomba is going to clean a room, like they're not going to ban all Roombas from the Federation. So uh, I'm, I'm thinking that that's probably more along the line of it. And, and considering that we have this kind of 14 year gap of when since we're in use and when they were banned or since they've been banned, we don't know exactly like what happened prior to those 14 years and in the development of that technology. And maybe we'll get more of that throughout the series. 
Um, yeah, that was just a question that I had when I was watching that. It's a good one because, and you know, I think, because uh, I know that this was some complaints, there was a prequel book that was released and that was supposed to have some background information for people uh, going into the show. So my guess is that dealt more with that synthetic uh, rebellion. Um, but I don't know. I haven't read it either. So I'm, I might pick it up because I'm it, this has had me very intrigued back in Trek again. So um, but moving moving on. Uh, we kind of you liked this. I didn't so much, uh, but we have a very disorienting conversation between Laris and Picard about uh, the Tau Shiar slash the uh, Zot Vash, if I'm saying that right. Uh, I didn't quite like that parts of the conversation were taking place at Chateau Picard and other parts of the conversation were taking place at the uh, at Dodge's apartment. Yeah, the, the I think it's just the editing of it, the way they've cut it back and forth, back and forth, but mm-hmm. it didn't bother me. It didn't take me out of the scene at all, but I guess it did you. A little bit. I think the second time I watched it, it, it flowed a little bit smoother for me, but the first time I watched it, it felt a little jarring. Now, it does kind of, I mean, it, it doesn't, it doesn't like necessarily screw up the conversation because it's very basic, like understanding of what's going on. They're two distinct conversations uh, because like when they're at Dosh's apartment, uh, she's doing kind of her CSI routine. Uh, and I did like the, the little comment when Picard's like, oh, yeah, those uh, forensic recreators are highly uh, dubious at best. Like they don't really work that well. And she's like, yeah, that's what we wanted you to think. <laughs> I was like <laughs> propaganda at work. I was like, that's the perfect Romulan thing to do to make them think that this technology didn't work. And in, instead, it's actually like. A hundred percent accurate. And of course, you know, we, we find out about the, the shot and I don't know how I feel about this because like, I, I always love the idea of the Tao Shiar section 31. Um, what's, what's the obsidian order, the obsidian order. Like, I like this idea that each kind of organization within the Federation had their own kind of seek. Well, not even within the Federation, but just these worlds having their own kind of secret police, now, I don't know how I feel about a secret, secret police. Um, I, I'm kind of interpreting it like my take on it to make it make sense to me is is thinking about it in terms of like, like well, I don't, like in terms of religion, you have some people who are like really orthodox and strict and some people who aren't. So I'm thinking about it in terms of this is the secret police, the Tao Shiar, but there's like an uber extreme you know, within them, which would be the Jot Vash is how I'm interpreting it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could see that. That, that would make more sense. And, and especially with this kind of, you know, she says uh, they're, well, I don't think it's her that says it. it's more, um, Zaban who says it where they're like more of like a myth, like they're kind of the boogeyman, like not even the normal Romulans like think that they, ex- uh, actually exist, but it, it is, it is interesting. I don't, hundred percent hate it, but I just don't quite know how I feel about it. I've kind of like just made me think of it as the Jat Vash being like the Tao Shiar 1.0 and the Tao Shiar being, you know, 2.0. But, um, through this conversation, we learn that they, that the Romulans actually have a loathing of artificial life. We have no reason to understand why. And, uh, it is a different look at, Rom- um, Romulan culture. And we haven't explored Romulans enough to know, truly how they use their technology because I saw a lot of people kind of complaining about it because of the fact that they have ships and whatnot. But, you know, Laris does kind of like make a good point 
um, about, you know, they only have it restricted to doing basic numerical functions. And I'm, I would assume that, you know, you could fly your ship and stuff by doing those type of things. So, right. Um, I wouldn't think that they would have a holodeck or anything like that that could accidentally become sentient on their ship. Right. And as we saw that, that didn't quite work out for the enterprise a few times. So maybe, maybe the Romulans were right in that case. Um, so this kind of like makes me have a theory that, uh, and it kind of gets a little bit bolstered later on in the episode and more so probably in episode three that, um, maybe that they're behind the attacks on Utopia Planitia. Now, the kind of basic thing is, well, why would they sabotage the efforts to rescue their own people? And I think you and I had this conversation, too. And I was like, well, maybe it's because they dislike it so much that they're trying to prove a point that they would use the synthetics to prove the point for them that synthetics are bad by having them rebel and destroy and therefore forcing the Federation to ban them at the sakes of their own people. Now, whether or not that's logical or, or not is up for debate, but that's my kind of thinking on it. I don't know if you have any other thoughts. Yeah, I don't, I don't really have an answer for it, but I do think it's interesting how many times the show has specifically asked us that question yeah. or like Picard himself has said, why would they do that? And I think because they're asking it like flat out so many times that they are definitely going to have to give us an answer to it by the end of the season. Oh, and I, I feel like they certainly will. I don't see like this kind of particular story running through into like a season two, uh, especially with like at the time that they were making it. I don't, I don't think they knew they were going to renew it right away. Uh, but I think that there was enough buzz behind it that they were like, OK, we're going to go ahead and renew this. But I think that they will kind of give us this um the, that answer by the end of the end of the season. Now, my next note on this is Soji and Eric hook up pretty darn quick. Yes, I thought <laughs> that, too. Because um, we, we only have them have like maybe a minute's worth of conversation at the end of episode one. And all of a sudden now they are just straight up sleeping together, like maybe needed a little bit more uh, build up to that or more exposition, like explaining how much time since that arrival right. when there's something at the bottom of the screen that says like, this is like 14 weeks later or right. something. Yeah. It, Cause it was just like, it seems really quick for them to have one conversation, him talk about having lost a brother and her talking about having a sister. Of course, she doesn't know that Dodge is dead. Uh, it just seems really weird that they would hook up. Now it makes sense when we kind of learn more about Narek, why he's inserting himself, uh, into that relationship, uh, because of what his intent is. But we also now get, we're back at Chateau Picard, and we get what I think was a really cool uh, throwback and nod, although we never saw, I, I don't think we ever saw this character in Next Generation, but just what they talk about is what I really enjoyed about it. But he gets a visit from Dr. Um, Moritz uh, Benayoun, who was his former crewmate on the Stargazer. And I really like that kind of, these two old uh, crewmates kind of talking about the good old days a little bit and, you know, talking about his health, uh, making sure he was good to be able to be certified for interstellar travel. But I like that kind of like these two old friends kind of getting together and reminiscing the old days. Um, but in th and this was something that you managed to make me aware of because I had totally forgotten about it. But he brings up the abnormality and the parietal lobe 
and if that you know can cause the dreams that Picard's having. And I was like scratching my brain over what that was referencing to. But fortunately, you are a font of knowledge when it comes to next <laughs> generation. But was was that come from? It, okay, I was actually I had the wrong episode in mind, okay. but the episode is actually all good things, which is the ending episode where um, Q is actually taking Picard back and forth to so the future. So I had it right. Yeah, it was, it's that episode, but Beverly does run the scan on him and say it's an abnormality in your parietal lobe. Um, so I was referencing the wrong episode, but I had the right thing in my head yeah. that helps at all. Because that's what I was thinking it was, was like the, the, the being like disconnected from time when he was living it nonlinear for the finale. And uh, but then you brought up the that older episode and, and Beverly talking about that. And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe that's right. Well, regardless, there is there is that older episode and I don't remember the name of it where it's they think it's Picard's son or it is Picard's son. But he has some kind of neurological disease and Beverly scans both of them and says that it's something genetic inherited. But I thought it was that episode, but it's actually it actually is all good things where they specifically say parietal lobe. Okay. well, we're we're all allowed to make mistakes here, so (laughs) (laughs) I've certainly made made enough of them. Uh, but yes, well, it's, it is a good, nice reference to old TNG. And like, like we said, like it's, it's respecting the canon. It's, it's respecting what came before it. And, um, so because he is really technically certified to be able to go, uh, in interstellar travel, he goes back to Starfleet Academy. Well, not Academy, but back to Starfleet headquarters. Um, and of course I like this and I know you liked it too. When he walked into, uh, the lobby, they have the old holographic image of the old Constitution class uh, Enterprise and then the Enterprise D galaxy class. But you and I both kind of were like, well, why didn't they show the E? And right. It just didn't make sense. Like it, it lingers too long on, on the D that it, it was like, well, is it going to shift and show the E? I think even if it had shown another type of ship like uh, the Defiant or even Voyager would have been would have made more sense than just to linger too much. Um, right. That's when I was watching it, I was waiting for it to shift to like the Defiant or the Voyager. But well, they, they don't take what we want into consideration, obviously. <laughs> uh, but we we do get that moment where the clerk doesn't know who he is. Like Picard's like, oh, yeah, I got a meeting. And the guy's like, OK, what what's your name? <laughs> and uh, and then, of course, when he puts the badge on and it's like him putting on the old badge, but then he like lifts his hand down and it just says visitor. Uh, I thought that was a that nice, was really funny. Yeah. Nice little comedic bit. Um, and then we uh, see. Him. Uh, so he has his I, I said this disastrous meeting with Admiral Clancy because uh, he wants to kind of commission another small ship, small crew kind of to go under the radar um, mission to kind of figure out what's going on. If he can find Soji uh, and figure out what the Romulans are doing. He expressed to her that there's this secret uh, Romulan force operating uh, on Earth and everything uh, and that it dealt with synthetics. And she uh, is not having any of it. And I, I want you to talk about this. How do you feel about the F-bomb? <laughs> I, I didn't like it. It just I mean, I've watched the episode back now a couple of times and it still just feels out of place to me. I understand that they're trying to, like you had said before, when you have things that you're trying to like ground it in more reality instead mm-hmm. of being so like perfect future. But to me, I don't know. It's just because there there haven't really been a lot of 
cursing within Star Trek or within the next generation specifically, it just felt like, I don't know, it, it just felt so shoehorned in. It like stood out so much. It wasn't just like, oh, that kind of grounds this to reality, but it's kind of subtle or in the background. This was like, bam, you know, here it is. And we're cussing and everything now. I just felt like when Gene Roddenberry had this idea, he was envisioning this perfect future that we are a part of, you know, that it's something that we can aspire to be. And I feel like Star Trek was supposed to ask you moral and ethical questions and make you have these dilemmas and think about things while also enjoying this, you know, having a fun sci-fi adventure. And it's not supposed to be too gritty and too real. I agree. And I think because uh, I, as you were talking about that, it just kind of came to my mind. I don't even think Discovery has even used that type of language. Um, I know you wouldn't know because you, you tapped out early in season one. But from what I remember of season one and season two, I don't feel like any uh, F-bombs or big uh, cuss words were dropped in in the episode. So it does seem even more like not disconcerting, but but. It takes you out a little bit of it, like going, well, wait a minute. This is like, whoa, you went you went big and you didn't go home with a word that like you could have maybe gone away with like a goddamn it or or a shit. Yeah. But, yeah. Because there's that whole there's that whole suspension of the disbelief. Right. And in that instant, that totally shattered it. I agree. I agree. And so uh, obviously the the conversation does not go well. Uh, she tells him go home your request is denied so he leaves in defeat and uh we go back to the uh board cube and i you and i both love this the 5,843 days without an assimilation. Uh, <laughs> that sign. was very funny. I, I, I loved it. It's, it's may, might be a little too humorous for some people, but I, I, I liked it. I, it was a little tongue in cheek, but also something that would seem practical working in an environment such as that where an assimilation is very likely to happen. Yeah, any piece of technology could suddenly jump into you and start trying to assimilate you. Right, and I and I did like the Romulan... Uh, kind of uh, announcer kind of explaining the ins and outs of like what they have to do, what will happen if you do this, what will happen if you do that. Uh, we have Soji kind of introducing a new um, a new person from, and I didn't catch this the first time I watched it. I caught it the second time because I know Soji said she was from the, or not Soji, Narek says that that new scientist is from the Trill Polytechnic, but I didn't actually catch that she was a Trill and it was because of her skin color. It was really dark, so I couldn't really see the spots the first time. I noticed them the second time as I was watching. Same here. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that makes it makes more sense that she would be from the Trill Polytechnic. Not that I had an issue if she was human, because, like, uh, even in the old uh, Enterprise um, show, when Flocks um, goes and does the exchange uh, on a planet, being a doctor on a different planet, uh, you know, we've seen that kind of happen in, in the past. So... It wouldn't have been completely out of bounds, but I did like that they they still kind of kept that within uh, within the reality of the worlds. Um, we do get the mention. Oh, uh, Narek wants to join Soji on her kind of um, on her assignment, but she says he needs to get approval from the director of the Borg Reclamation Project, which we don't have the name of that person at the time. But we do find out is Hugh from Hugh of Borg. Uh, and I think that that's really cool. Again, throwback and respect uh, of from the next generation. 
uh, series, and Narek's like, well, yeah, I don't, I don't need that approval. I've already got it or whatever. Um, and so now, again, it's kind of jumping back and forth a lot here, but Picard, we're back at Picard's place. Um, he's uh, got Gerardi there, and she's got an Isaac Asimov uh, book. And I know you and I kind of felt a, a little bit on the same here when he says, oh, I never really cared for sci-fi. And, um, oh, there's another line he says right after that. That was the, like, step too far. Um, but, yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't remember exactly what it was, but that joke in particular I felt like was a little too on the nose and aware of itself. Right. Yeah, it, it just, like, I, I think if he would have been like, oh, was, I've never really been into sci-fi uh, and that, like, left it there, I think it would have been fine. But he does say one more line that it's like, Okay, you you just you just took one step too far, and something it, about it being really un, unrealistic or something. Yeah, yeah, and then and also, why would you have a, an Isaac Asimov book there then? Other than the fact that kind of with Isaac Asimov and his works being more uh, with the idea of artificial intelligence, you know, and sci-fi, that that would be kind of related to data. But um, this right. Was, that's the only reason I thought that she was standing there holding it. Right. And and then this leads to another conversation, too, that uh, this is kind of going on still a little bit with my my theory on Bruce. But you've shed more light on it um, with uh, get, kind of giving us that background in, in Maddox's uh, relationship with data. But she does say Bruce and data became friends after a time. And it does make more sense now when you're talking about, especially the episode where he was writing to Bruce uh, during um, O'Brien and Keiko's uh, wedding that like, yes, after that initial meeting and the measure of a man, they were over able to overcome kind of their differences and become a kind of close companions. Uh, So I, I thought that that doesn't hold as much importance to my theory anymore. Now that you've kind of shot it down a little bit. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, you're fine. It, it happens. Um, and it's just a theory. I still want to see Q. I, I mean, do too. come on. And I think that would be, like like I said, I think it would be a kind of a really nice way of, like, because we still, if we had a picture, that's the one thing that's still bugging me, is, like, we haven't seen any image or picture of Bruce since his name has been mentioned, that it's, like, why would we not even show, like, a little placard of his image or something, you know? Uh, it just something about that doesn't sit right with me. Um, and we're now back at the Borg cube and we're seeing the removal of the implants. Um, and this is, I like this and I think you liked it too. When we talked about it, uh, this one was, it's very, uh, gruesome, but not in the sense of like being gruesome to gross you out. It's again, trying to ground that in reality, showing the effects and damages of the implants on, uh, the host. Yeah, yeah. This is a way that I say this is how you ground it in reality, not by just randomly throwing out things. I agree. And and like because like when they remove the ocular implant, like you're seeing the flesh and tissue underneath and it's looking a little grotesque. And yeah, I was like, it's like sticky. It makes a squishy noise. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I I appreciated that kind of sense of realism to it. And we have we find out that a lot of these Borg that they are reclaiming, they call them the nameless when they don't know the name of the species. Now, this this bothers me. Um, and I I guess I wrote it later on or I wrote it. Um, did you write it for the next episode like I did? Possibly. Uh, <laughs> yes, I did. I think I did because uh, of when he was reviewing the footage. Um, but she she kind of gives a um, 
a, a eulogy in a sense to the uh, the subject that they're working on in a different language. Um, so I'll save it, my, which is fine until the next episode. Right. And we'll, we'll talk about it when we get on there. Uh, so now, uh, we're again, we're going back to earth and, uh, we've got Picard kind of in his study. He pulls out his old com badge. Uh, he taps on it and he's contacting someone named Rafi who he doesn't want to hang up. And I know some people had lines or problems with that line. It's you and I both didn't have any issues with it. Um, no, it makes sense. They can just turn it off. Exactly. Same way you hang up on a cell phone. Exactly. And uh, and it's just a it's a turn of phrase. I mean, it's something we all have those phrases, whether they're anachronistic or not. We still tend to say them from time to time. Um, but uh, you know, he doesn't want her to hang up, and he needs a ship, and that's all we kind of get from that that scene. Now, uh, I'm more in line with what you were saying about this next character. Uh, now, after having rewatched the episodes twice. Uh, we have got Vulcan Commodore O, who is the head of like Starfleet security, who uh, is being ordered by Admiral Clancy to like look into the Picard situation about whether or not the Romulans are uh, in acting in secret on Earth. And uh, she calls uh, a Lieutenant Rizzo over. Um, and there's this kind of deep conversation uh that they have a little bit later on in the episode, but I figure it's better to just go ahead and talk, talk a little bit about it now where uh, it's their cover. And that's why I was kind of like wondering if she's a, not necessarily a Vulcan, but if she's a Romulan, but now I'm leaning more towards to that. She is a Vulcan. Um, but what this kind of their cover is, we don't still quite know what their, what their intent is. Um, and then we move on. Picard is arriving at Rafi's home uh, in the desert, which we find out is the Vasquez Rocks, which is very famous in Trek history because it is the location that Kirk fought the Gorn. And that's <laughs> very important, obviously, to, to Star Trek history. And you and I both had kind of picked up on that because that rock formation looked very similar. And uh, Yeah, I was like, oh, there's those rocks. And shortly before we started recording, I had to look it up just to be sure. And and we, we are correct. It is the same location as the famous Kirk Gorn fight. And I think that they even call those rocks uh, Kirk's, Kirk Rock or something like that. So uh, it's funny that that has had such an influential impact uh on just even the real world um so we have he says to her because she doesn't want him on property uh that you know secret romulan assassins are operating on earth which gets her to go okay what what type of wine do you have um and then we kind of get a final scene uh with Narek and rizzo we find out that they are brother and sister and they kind of discuss the operation and with how Narek is going about his methods of trying to um, get Soji to to tell a, tell them where the nest is. Now, this is kind of our first real reference to the nest. Like we when they did uh, try to kidnap Dodge at the beginning, they did ask, where are the others? But we didn't really know that there's apparently this like actual like secret place full of these synthetic organics and you and I both thought this too, that that then it's just like, that's right where the episode ends. Felt like there needed to be at least a little bit more of a sequence, maybe with Picard and Rafi, but it just ended there. And I don't know why. Yeah. It, it did kind of feel like it was a little stunted and cut, just cut right off right there. 
I'm not sure if that's like, you know, afterwards and editing and they're putting the episode together and it was just kind of like, well, we don't really have a good end cap, you know, without giving away too much or too little or so they just cut it right there. Yeah, I would think maybe if in, if they shifted the scenes and they put the Narek thing first and then Picard showing up at Rafi's uh, last and then that ending with him saying, you know, oh, secret Romulan assassins operating on Earth and then her asking about the wine, that probably would have been maybe the more apt place to end the episode. Yeah, that would have left it right there with your like, oh, who are these secret assassins? Let's learn more and ask more questions and then sort of just where it ended. Right. And so uh, that ends the episode. And uh, again, I think it's it was a strong follow up. Uh, I'm I. I'm going to land on a four out of five on this one, just because like there were some little things that kind of bothered me here and there. I didn't quite like, like you said, with the editing about the first part between the uh, Laris and, and Picard talking about the shot Vash um, and then kind of how this episode ended. It just like it was so abrupt and it felt like we were missing another little bit of scene. Uh, but other than that, like, again, it's, it's building up the momentum. It is, uh, it's not moving too fast, but in my opinion, it's also not moving too slow. It's introducing the characters in a timely fashion. Uh, we're learning their motivations. We're learning their backstories. And I really, uh, really appreciate that. I know a lot of people have been having frustrations that he's not already in space, but there's a difference between Picard and Next Generation, and Next Generation was more serialized telling uh, storytelling, and this is more actual like episode arcs of a, an entire season, more of a traditional format for a television show. So that's where I land on this one. Yeah, I would probably agree with you with pretty much all of that. And like we had talked about before, different editing or the editing of how it was the Admiral and then the Commodore and then Lieutenant Rizzle and then Rafi. And it was just like all these women back to back to back yeah. to back that I just wonder if it was afterwards in the cutting. You didn't really realize how much you had loaded at the end there. I would agree. I, I think it was it was probably just like someone going, OK, this is perfect, perfect, perfect. And not really going okay, here's what's actually happening in the scenes. Uh, yeah. So. And I liked in here, I think when, I think it's in here and Picard's talking to Jabot when he's looking for help and, you know, he's oh. like, oh, you ask Jordy or ask somebody yeah. else or ask this. And Picard's like, no. And he explains why. And I just, I appreciate that little moment they took to just put that in there. Because I, I like that we will probably see people, you know, and familiar characters, and I love them, but this is the Picard show. It's about him. Right. So. Yeah, I, I like that because he's, uh, Jaban says, uh, you know, well, why why not Riker? Why not uh, Worf? Why not LaForge? And he goes, because they would do it in a heartbeat. And, like, he's like, and I. I can't ask that of them. I can't let them put their own lives and families at risk. And that's when uh, Jaban says, uh, well, then you just need to get someone who uh, completely hates you. And he's like, yeah, I've already made that call. So <laughs> that was, yeah, that was very well done. And it, and at least it gives a decent explanation why we might not see some of these legacy characters. And in fact, in all honesty, I was shocked enough. We got to see Brent Spiner come back as data. Like I, had no expectation until they released that trailer 
that we were even going to see him. And so it was really kind of cool to have at least that moment. And as we know from the trailer and, uh, and stuff that we'll, we will see Riker and Deanna, but we won't see them for multi episodes. So we'll still get some of those nice legacy characters. Um, all right. Well, if you don't have anything else to say about that, we can go ahead and move on to episode three, which is the end is the beginning. And the premise of this episode is completely unaware of her special nature. Soji and continues her work and captures the intention of the Borg Cube Research Project's executive director. After rehashing past events with a reluctant Rafi, Picard seeks others willing to join his search for Bruce Maddox, including pilot and former Starfleet officer Cristobal Rios. Um, so this episode, I, I understand why they did this, but I didn't feel like it was needed. But we get a recap of the opening scene from episode two. We get to see the whole it's more quick. It's it's just like a couple seconds, but we see everything. I think it's just giving you the perspective of like, we saw what happened with the workers on the plant. Now we're seeing what happens from the perspective of everybody else who watched it happen. Right. And, and it's also because we're, we're picking up like literally the day after with, uh, Admiral Picard and Rafi at Starfleet. So like, I got it. I didn't, I didn't feel like it was necessary, but I also understood why they did it. I understood it more. I think the second time I watched it than I did the first time. Um, I like these uniforms that Picard and Rafi are wearing. Like, I like them better than what the current, like 14 years late, you know, the present day, uh, Starfleet are wearing because they, those seem like such a step back to the next generation, uh, costumes. But I did like these designs for Admiral Picard and for Rafi. Um, now you and I both wrote, I think had the same thought immediately when they're having their <laughs> conversation and she calls him JL. Yes, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't understand it. Like, why not just call him Jean-Luc or just Picard? Like, why Why do we got to go jail? It just doesn't make any sense. The, the instant she said it, and I'm taking notes on my second watch through, the very first thing I wrote down was JL. I hate it. <laughs> yeah, mine was do not like JL. <laughs> so I, I just, I, I don't understand it, but... We this is kind of then where the seed is planted about uh, a conspiracy of the Tal and Tal Shiar involvement. Uh, that this is coming straight from Rafi. Like Picard has no inkling or no thoughts at the because he even says like, well, why would they do this to you know you know hurt their own people, and and that's kind of with like with what Rafi says like you know well that's how you do it. Well, that's later on in the episode, but that's how you do a cover up. Um, but his kind of last you know, gamble is, okay, well, we're going to help these people out or you're going to accept my resignation. And they take his resignation. Now, I don't understand why Rafi gets fired over this. Do do you? I didn't, I did not get that either. I was, I, I don't know. And she's the one who says that she's fired. Yeah. When she looks at the message, it just says that they asked to see her and she automatically says that she's fired. So I don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't know why she would automatically be fired just because of because she was part of it, because she was helping. I don't really know. Well, like even if she was like under his command, like part of, you know, his crew, like even if this was on the Enterprise and Picard made this choice, it wasn't like they were going to fire Riker and, you know, Jordy and War. Right. It's not like everybody loses their career because the captain made a bad decision. They fire the captain. Right. Now, if she had come kind of come out and been publicly like, oh, yeah, Starfleet won't do this. You know, Romulans are doing this. Then like it would make more sense. So I don't know why she 
holds it so much against him that he's the reason why she was fired from Starfleet or let go from Starfleet. So, and when you see it in that very first episode where they're like sitting on that bench talking, when he tells her he just got, um, they accepted his resignation. She immediately says that she's fired. Yeah. Yeah. She gets like the little thing and she's like, Oh, the CNC wants me, wants to see me. I'm fired. It's like, wait, well, Again, like, how do you know that you're fired? Like, they could have just censured you. Like, they could have, like, they weren't, it wasn't like you were going through a court martial or anything like that. It just, it didn't make quite sense. And maybe we'll get more um, flashbacks as to, like, what happened there. Because we, we do see when they're having this conversation that she does have this kind of deep resentment towards him right now. And I do get, uh, I do get it when she's like, you never called me just to even say hello or just to even yeah, ask I if I was okay. Neglect. So like, I, I understood that. And I also wrote down a, a, a note that, uh, vaping is still popular in the future. <laughs> I know. I was like, what is snake grass and which planet did it come from? Well, and it's, it's also like, and, and, and that was another thing that I'd found a little inconsistent was she's blaming him for her paranoia, but she's the one who willingly was taking that snake grass and, and vaping it. So like, just because you were in a bad place because of the situation that you found yourself in, you took that choice to try to seek comfort in a hallucinogenic or whatever type of drug that you probably shouldn't have been doing in the first place. That's not Picard's fault. Picard's fault is potentially for you getting fired, but not for you making poor life decisions afterwards. Right. And it looks like she's growing it in that pot. Or oh yeah. Yeah. Cause she, she, cause she grabs it and she shoves it in the vape pen and, and smokes it. So uh, I don't know. She she kind of has an abrupt thing uh, and, and walks off, leaving Picard at, at her house. And uh, then we kind of jump back to uh, the Borg cube. And this is what we were referring to a little bit before. Hugh reviews the footage of Soji uh, from from that episode. And and this was the note I wrote down. If they don't know the species, how does she know the language? Right, because how and how does he know? Because he said you gave this little eulogy to him in his own language. Right. It's like, well, he's nameless, so you're not supposed to know what species he is. And then, how would she know the language that he speaks? Unless that they, unless because um, we we've seen some of the disordered later on in the episode, but this also works against that theory too, because they're all Romulan. Unless they had some that they reclaim that uh, are in the same kind of boat as being the disordered Romulans that they were speaking that language. That's the only way I would think that that would make sense then that they would know what language it is and that she would be able to, well, we know why she might actually be able to say it because of her being synthetic and being able to pick up on things a lot, uh, really quick. Um, but that would be the only way like Hugh would know what, um, what that language is. And, and another thing I have too, is, uh, considering that Picard had become Locutus of Borg and he looks perfectly normal after having all the implants removed. Why do some of all these other Borg, not even seven of nine, like looks, uh, as scarred as some of these other ones. Is it possibly because of the level of the implants or how long they've been assimilated? Like, I, I don't know. Do you have I any was, thoughts? I was wondering that too, just about, because in in Voyager, of course, we see Seven of Nine, but there's another episode where we see three people that had been linked to her. 
Mm-hmm. And even they, even they don't look as scarred or anything like that. So then I'm wondering if it's just, if it's one of those budget things about makeup and, you know, how character design and in this one, they're trying to go a little more real as to like, you would actually have scars yeah. I'm not really sure. Yeah, that 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 could that could be it. Like I, I felt like that too. Like it was more like they wanted to show more of the actual like ramifications of coming back uh, from being a Borg and like how it would how you would really look. But it it does seem a little still inconsistent though when you look at Jean Luc and you look at Seven of Nine and you're like, yeah, but they look pretty much normal. But whatever, maybe it's length yeah. of time. Like that's that's the only thing I can think of. Um, yeah, it would have to be, I guess. But I mean, because I was thinking, well, Hugh was supposed to be even a teenager, but Seven of Nine was assimilated as a child. Right. So. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, that that does complicate that issue even further. But again, we're probably overthinking the situation, but it is just these little things that kind of stick out in your head when you're so invested in the Trek universe that uh, these things do kind of kind of stick out to you. Um, now, uh, next thing I've got is just Federation complicity with Tao Shiar. Trying to think of where that fell into the episode because I know I've got that he is going to grant access uh, for Soji to interview Ramda, uh, and then I go to that and I don't know exactly what that means. Federation complicity with Tao Shiar. Uh, oh, it must be, um, he must have flashed to another conversation with, uh, this is the conspiracy bit that he's yeah, having Picard to talk and Rafi with. and they're yeah. talking about it. And she says that that's how you do a cover up is that, you know, you act like these parties wouldn't be involved. Uh, but then she mentions that Rios, uh, is the pilot that she will have for him. Um, and then we're back at Daystrom, Okinawa, and Commodore O is visiting Girardi to talk about Picard. Now, you and you and I both had the same thought in this, too, is we don't see the details of this conversation, which I think is important. I think it's important, especially when something happens later on in the episode and what this might mean potentially for later on in the season. Do you have yeah, any thoughts? I initially, because even from that first watch, I still thought Commodore O was a Vulcan working with the Romulans. Yeah. So when when we don't see the details of that conversation, I'm wondering if she didn't do a mind meld with Dr. Girardi and maybe has like sleeper agent code or something in her, or she'll be, you know, feeding information back and not realize that she's doing it or something. Right. Yeah. There, there is, there is something that is that they're intentionally like, I'm not, I'm not saying like, Oh, this is just, they just did bad editing. No, they're, I think they're intentionally not showing us the contents of that conversation and that it's going to come back, uh, later on in in the season to really have some type of impact, or we could just be wrong and they just didn't want to write a scene. But I really do think that, uh, that's, that's the case that there is something else quite going on there. Um, now, we're back to uh, the Borg cube. We find out about the former Borg Romulans, the Disordered, uh, that these are the only Romulans assimilated that they know of. Because I think you and I had talked about that uh, as well, that uh, Voyager showed some Romulans that had been assimilated. But Hugh, not, of course, maybe having any contact with Seven of Nine or you know not knowing about the experiences of the Voyager and the Delta Quadrant, 
as far as he would know, these would possibly be the only Romulans that he would know of that were assimilated. Right. And I didn't catch that line until my second watch through. And I'm like, oh, okay. They, they went ahead and kind of clarified that. Cause, because my initial thought was, well, in Voyager, we saw blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, at least like they, they, they put that qualifier on there that at least makes it uh, feasible that, okay, there could have been Romulans that they were not aware of. Um, and then I, I read a little funny note that uh, Ramda is playing Mahjong. Um, with her little <laughs> f- flippy card things there. And, uh, and then we're, we're back at Rafi's and she's doing what she said she wouldn't do. She's kind of looking into everything. And, uh, Picard is, um, is, uh, calling her and she's not too thrilled about that, but he knows her well enough that, uh, he knows she's going to look into, into the goings on, uh, with this kind of secret thing. Um, and this is also what I, I really like, too, is now we're introduced to Rios's ship. And I liked that they had the classic uh, TNG theme playing as he teleported onto the uh, onto the onto the ship. And On then, the platform, yeah. yeah. And then uh, he's greeted by the EMH, uh, which looks exactly like him uh, with a British accent. Uh, and we're finally kind of introduced to um, introduced to Rios, who. It's giving me a little bit of like a Han Solo type vibe. Uh, I don't know if you've got that same type of vibe with him or not. Yeah, he kind of has that roguish but good-hearted character kind of a vibe to him. Yeah, he's a little bit of a mercenary, but he's also he's former Starfleet, uh, so he uh, he knows the rule of law and everything. Um, and so it's uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how how much we learn about him. Uh, and then of course we. I wrote down ego. Why does holograms look like him? And I really think that it's, it's a, he only trusts himself. So that's why these holograms all look exactly like him, uh, that he doesn't trust any type of outward influence. It's not why his EMH looks like Robert Picardo at all. Um, but then of course, yeah, he... I'd, I'd agree with that. That's probably like, he probably has them all based on his own synapses and thought processes as well. When you only can trust yourself. So they look like him and they probably think like him too. Right. And uh, I think that's even when the, the navigation one is, uh, talking to him and acting kind of like a, a therapist a little bit. It's like, yeah, it's, this is what, what you're, you know, your own thoughts are thinking this. Uh, he doesn't use the dermal regenerator for his wound, which I think that, I think it's because he he wants to carry these scars on like he doesn't want to forget. No, not that this is a meaningful scar. We don't even learn how he has the metal implant in his uh, collarbone. But I think he's it's something like he wants to remember each and every scar. Uh, But we also learn that he was the former EXO on the in uh, in Starfleet and the Ibn Majid. But that no one's ever heard of that ship because Starfleet doesn't want them to hear about it. So it makes me wonder what happened there. Um, yeah, I think the episode's doing a really good job thus far from one, two and three of giving us interest of these characters have depth and they have some backstories that we're going to get into, or we're going to want to learn more about as we move forward. So you're saying they're three dimensional, unlike Michael Burnham. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> we could say yes in bold and neon lights, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so we get a kind of, you know, nice little introduction for him. Uh, Picard goes, you know, I can smell the Starfleet on you. Everything is in regulation order and whatnot. Um, and then we get back down to... Um, Rafi and she's going down the rabbit hole, which she said she didn't want to go down another rabbit hole with Jean-Luc. Uh, now, I caught these things, and I don't know if you, you caught it either, but when she's looking at the code, uh, there's the Gorn egg, and there's another thing for a quantum fingerprint, and then it shows the free cloud uh, kind of gambling thing. And I'm wondering, like, I figured the Gorn egg is just like a little, hey, there's a nice little fun thing. But the quantum fingerprint, I'm I'm wondering what that means exactly. Like, if that's just basically is, like your fingerprint. Is that, like, in the code on her screen, or is that something? It's on, yeah, it's in the code. It's what she, like, is kind of flashing when she, like, looks at it. Uh, and then it's what, like, leads to the free cloud thing. So it's, it's two different, like, because they're even highlighted differently in different colors than the rest of the code. So that's why I like I was like, oh, Gornig, that's a fun little Easter egg. I'm sure that's just like a, you know, code name for something. But the quantum fingerprint thing, I was like, what's that mean? Is that just like, you know, kind of like your digital fingerprint? Uh, you know, is it saying that this particular user was using this thing at this time on free cloud? Like, I, I don't. I don't know what exactly that means, but yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I, Cause I, I didn't really catch that. But then again, I point out that the episode's doing exactly what it should. It's right. making us ask all of these interesting questions. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, we, then we are back up on Rios's ship and this is what I, I did like this because I, I wasn't sure he actually said this, uh, when he wanted it to deactivate, uh, cause he said it quickly and I didn't have subtitles on, but it is the ENH, his emergency navigational hologram. Because I was like, well, it can't be an EMH because that stands for emergency medical hologram. But I did like that they do have it in there as the ENH. Uh, so I, I like that. But I also like that it's uh, it's him, but he's Scottish. And <laughs> I and I have to wonder if that's supposed to be a throwback to Scotty. I mean, it would have to be because that's like the navigator slash engineer kind of Right. It's it, it's person taking care of everything and making sure the ship kind of works and is up and running. So I, I thought it was I thought it was like cool that he had him Scottish and, you know, the whole line of like Picard, he's on the side of the angels and everything. And it was like just classic Scottish, uh, you know, wording and, and phrasing and everything. And that's where you kind of have that kind of uh, um, therapeutic moment, like he's acting more of a therapist for himself because he knows his own inner thoughts and whatnot. Uh, and that's, I think, why he uh, just goes, yeah, get, you know, you're dismissed. There's no navigation problems anymore. Um, and that Rios also has a tragic past because it, it, the hologram is even telling him, like, you haven't followed a man like this in a while. And then he explains about how his last captain, who was a good man, he saw his brains like all the side of, on the side of a bulkhead. And so we don't know what happened on this Ibn Majid. And um I really hope we do get kind of an episode focusing on his past a little bit. Yeah, that would be really interesting, probably for all of them. Right. I I would agree, too. Like, we got a little bit of Rafi's, but we don't know everything. Uh, I think even with Girardi, there might be might be some stuff there, too. 
And, uh, and well, I, even with her, it would be interesting, even if it's not delving into her character, but seeing her like meet Bruce Maddox, then maybe that's how we get to see who he is. Exactly. Yeah. I, that, I think that would be perfect too. And I know like from the previews for next week's episode, uh, we have, uh, we have, uh, a new character that's going to be introduced who looks like he's going to be a Romulan that Picard had some influence on his past at some point. So, it, like we said, it's doing a good job of introducing these characters and giving them enough depth without over explaining who they are and how they're amazing or anything like that. Um, now I have, I have this a little bit backwards, but cause I was jumping ahead of myself as I was watching the episode, but Soji, it's all kind of happening at the same time. Soji is using Romulan tradition to reach Ramda at the same time that Picard is preparing to leave and the Jat Vash is arriving to kill Picard. Um, and at this time, we also see that Jaban and Laris aren't just caretakers. They are like security guards. Uh, they, I mean, I would assume Laris was former Tal Shiar herself. And, yeah, uh, I got that impression as well. And I don't, I, maybe Jaban was as well. I'm not 100% sure. But like, as soon as they... Uh, they show up because he happens to drop a plum and someone takes a bad phaser shot. Um, they, it's complete action. I think it's a really well choreographed uh, scene and phasers planted everywhere. <laughs> I loved that. They're literally all over the room. And, and I think it, it makes sense knowing Picard and knowing Romulans, like he's got these two Romulans. They're going to have this stuff kind of, they're prepared for any type of incursion. What, even if it doesn't happen. Uh, so I thought that was a really, really good scene. Uh, and the only thing I don't find a hundred percent believable is that no one dies. I was expecting one of them to get, you know, to end or to die at some point because it was a lot of people at once. I mean, obviously it wouldn't have been Picard, but I was expecting either Jaban or Laris to die. Now I'm not upset, but it does seem a little inconsistent with having like these, seven or eight highly trained, super secret agent guys. And they all act like stormtroopers and aren't able to hit or kill anybody of their targets. Yeah. I would have thought that maybe short of dying, that maybe Jabon would have been like hit in the chest or the shoulder or something yeah. by one of those first initial um, shots. Yeah, I, I agree. It just, it just seemed a little, a little bit beyond my disbelief. So, uh, it just, it just didn't quite work a hundred percent for me, but it's still a great scene. And, and I still like the sequence and I, and I love the characters enough that it like, I'm happy that not one of them died. Uh, but right. then we have Girardi conveniently showing up to kill the last one. And that was like, my question is why is she showing up so late? Uh, and I don't quite feel like she's fully forthcoming. When she's having yeah, a conversation that, with that just, the the timing was so convenient too that it makes you wonder why didn't they show us what she talked about with Commodore O? Right. Yeah. And like the whole like oh I told her everything because I'm a terrible liar, but I didn't tell her one thing. Like, and I I mean, granted, it was like the oh I'm going with you, but it's like well you you told her everything. If you told her everything, like why wouldn't you like? And if you're such a horrible liar, like why would you? I mean, I guess you don't have to lie about not about going with someone, but it just seemed like, yeah, there, there, there are questions just surrounding that whole exchange and, and the timing of everything that happens and her very strong insistence that she has to go with Picard. 
just doesn't quite seem like everything's on the level. Yeah, and it still makes me wonder if... I don't know that she would be doing it, you know, consciously. It just makes me wonder if something was implanted, kind of like a subtle subconscious suggestion from Commodore O. Yeah, I I don't think she has any malicious intent herself. But as we've seen in past episodes of any Star Trek show, we've seen what characters have kind of been used against their own means. And so I think that this would be really interesting to see how it plays out if if there's actually something there later on in the series. Um, now we go back to kind of the board cube. Uh, we're learning more about like R- Romulans don't quite have a mythology. Uh, they kind of call it the news and Soji's really interested in this. And then, um, I, there, there's also this moment where Ramda realizes she knows Soji from tomorrow. And so like, that's where I'm, I'm now I'm a little bit kind of confused or wondering like, are, since they've been kind of brought back from assimilation, are they living unlinear in time? Like, is this something that she remembers somehow like Dr. Manhattan style from Watchmen who lives life or lives through time, uh, 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 through an unlinear plane. Does she somehow know of something that's going to happen that next day? And that's coming back on her now. Like it's, it's, I'm I'm hurting my brain trying to think about what that line means. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know if the tomorrow part is the literal part of it or not. I'm not sure because what really stood out to me is the fact that she's like she re- she says that she knows her that she recognizes her. What what point in time didn't really stand out to me so much as Soji knowing about this ship that Ramda was on, that was the very last ship right. that that particular cube had assimilated, and then the submatrix collapse happened. So I feel like there's got to be something that's going on as far as maybe Bruce Maddox and making these um, synthetic beings. Did you know? Did something cross there? Or like you said, is there something you know timey wimey wibbly wobbly going on? <laughs> like I don't really know. But what really stood out to me there was like she knows stuff that maybe what happened to this ship and why this cube is, you know, has collapsed. Right. And even like, we, cause we get an interesting conversation uh, with her and uh, Narek near the end of the episode where she's like, I don't know how I know these things. Like, I don't know how I knew she was on the, on that ship. I don't know how I know that ship was the last ship assimilated by this board cube. Like, so it's, it's weird like how she's become aware of these things without actively learning about them. Cause she tries to attribute it to, well, I read all these classified file or unclassified files and maybe some Romulan sensors made, uh, made a mistake, which I would find very hard to believe that Romulans would make that type of mistake. Um, yeah. But I think she's doing what any like normal person would be doing in that situation. When something weird, ha- you're trying to find you know, an explanation that makes sense because your mind's trying to order things into, you know, into your perception of this is my world and how it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I I would agree, too. Like she's she's trying to find the rational explanation for it because uh, we she doesn't know exactly what's going on or what that even anything is special about her. Um, But another thing, like getting back to um, Ramda's like little confrontation with her because Ramda starts to kind of just lose it. And even some of the other disorders kind of start like freaking out a little bit, too. But she asks her, which one are you? Are you the one who dies or the one who lives? And that's where I kind of get more into that 
like time thing because like how would she know one is supposed to die and one is supposed to live? Uh, and then she asks like, "Are you the destroyer? Are you the destroyer?" And um, it just like it, it, and then she kind of almost activates because uh, she was going to end up killing herself, and then she moves like super quick, gets the disruptor out of her hand, and uh, kind of d- uh, diffuses the situation. And I, I kind of look at this because of the the little card that she pulled up last on on her little thing that she was doing uh, is of a white and dark figure, and it kind of reminds me of a yin yang. You know, it's like that type of yeah. Like, it did have the kind of that look to it. And so I'm 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 wondering like, okay, is the one who dies supposed to be the good one? Is the one who's supposed to live the bad one? Is the destroyer supposed to be like? this very negative force or is it actually a positive force? Maybe it's a destroyer in the sense of it destroys like the, the uh, maybe for lack of a better term, the racism against synthetics or this band take, get rid of this ban against synthetic life forms. Or is it actually something truly malicious? Like we have no idea. And I don't want them to go automatically like, yes, she's the bad one. Because I would think that right. that's too on the nose. I don't, I don't the want nose. them to give any answers that are too specific. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to explore. But I also wondered if if she's playing with these thing these cards that are supposed to be you know m- with mythology connected. If it's going to be another sort of like a first contact sort of a situation where maybe some sort of advanced alien race came to Romulus way back when and they were the destroyers or something. Well, heck, it could even be the Borg. I mean, that would make kind of a more logical sense of what's going on here with this Borg cube uh, is maybe that's they had a an encounter maybe with an uh, a Borg force that they were maybe able to actually destroy, which would then make sense why they have this strong distrust against synthetic life forms. Because, like, as far as we knew from Next Generation, the only inter- interaction that the Federation or anyone within the Alpha or Beta Quadrants dealt with um, with the Borg was when Q transported the Enterprise to the Delta Quadrant to a Borg cube, which ended up being the Borg cube that came on later on uh, to try to take over Earth. It just like maybe maybe there is something there that we don't quite know about um, maybe an un- unknown history that the Borg might have ventured into the Alpha Quadrant a long, long time ago, and somehow Romulans were able to fight back. It'd be an interesting thing to see. Yeah, it's, it's all interesting theories. It, makes, it just makes you wonder, and I think that's a good thing that, that they're doing, is that it makes you wonder. Yes. You want to know. Yes, and uh, so getting uh, well, I, I no, I had more notes on this one than I did <laughs> on any other one. Uh, but we're getting more towards the end of the episode. Like she's uh, Soji is kind of very uh, wound up from this thing. She calls her mom, but something's not right here uh, to me because like all of a sudden as she's talking to her mother, there's no uh, news that Dodge is dead, and uh, as the mom is talking. Soji's like lulled into a sleep and just falls asleep. No idea what's happening. Uh, then she wakes up later on and Narek walks into the room and she's, you know, goes through that whole thing about like, I don't know what's going on here. There's something weird happening. I don't know how I know this information. Maybe it's because of this. 
and uh, he tells her his secret and that he's falling for her. And I have this in parentheses, true or a lie. And I because with Romulans, you never know. Right. And I, I actually think uh, I really do think that he might actually be falling for her. whether or not the, it's it's I don't know if it's making logical sense or not. But like I, I have this feeling that there's there's something that he actually likes about her. And then even with we see Rizzo back in her Romulan form um, and I and it's she's saying like be careful not to really fall in love with with this thing that I think that there's something she knows about Narek himself that's like yeah you you you're gonna want to fall you're gonna fall in love with this with this uh synthetic and because like he even makes the little kind of jab at her like hey your method on earth didn't quite work out mine's working better and i had a weird cersei lannister jamie lannister vibe there between oh, a little yes. bit okay <laughs> i'm glad i'm not the only one who picked up on that <laughs> oh no i was like this is a little too sexual layers for yeah. brother and sister yeah it was it was a little uncomfortable uh it wasn't so bad in episode two but in this episode when she's there in person and they're really up close to each other i'm like it's a little uncomfortable don't know what you're doing here but okay whatever um, so now we kind of get to the final moments of the episode. Rios calls Picard saying that they have to leave now. Uh, otherwise he's going to have to hire another ship. Girardi makes her case, uh, to go on board. So she really wants to go on there. Uh, and, um, once they, um, they get on board, Rafi's there, uh, says that she's found Maddox on free cloud or knows that Maddox is on free cloud, but she has her own reasons as to why she wants to go. And, uh, which I find a little interesting what other motivations, because she didn't have any thoughts about Maddox uh, prior to looking into that information. So she had to find something else on those files Picard sent her to kind of drive that that want to be on this mission, because she said she'd never, never go with him again. And yeah, I'm wondering if it has to do with, like, her evidence that the Romulans or the Federations were, were involved in the destruction of the of Mars. It could be, uh, it could be that, or like I said, that, that, that Gorn egg and that quantum fingerprint thing, maybe they mean more than, than what we're thinking. I, I mean, I don't know. Um, it's just going to be very interesting to see. Like you said, they're planting all these seeds. They're asking right questions. They're answering some of our questions slowly as they're going along. Um, I felt like these first three episodes have been very well paced. I know a lot of people have been impatient and want him in space, but I've, I felt like it's set up. It's been a first act essentially to a play. And we're, we're at the end of act one. We're about to go into act two. And now we're going to see more of, of what's really going on. We're going to get more of a glimpse of the bigger picture. And, uh, my, my final note, because of this perfect is engage. You know, yeah. it's just great to hear him say those words again, do the motion. And we got the ship going off into warp speed. Um, so, uh, for this one, I, I think this one is a 4.5 out for me. Uh, I, I like this more over episode two, mainly because it, it is setting up more of the plot. It's moving more of the story along. Uh, it didn't have some of those kind of jarring editing moments that we talked about with episode two, like nothing that made me feel like, oh, okay, that this feels out of place. It, I felt like it ended perfectly. Uh, I think it flowed very well, and I'm excited for next week's episode. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I'll go with a 4.5 as well. The only other thought that came into my mind is when you're talking about how other people are having issues with they feel like it's so slow paced, which baffles me completely because um, you know that I like The Expanse and I like to watch other reactors to that. And everyone in the comments to those are like, oh, just get through the first four episodes of the first <laughs> season and then it'll really take off. And I'm like, those are some really interesting like world building episodes. I don't understand why they feel they're so slow. I, I have to think maybe it's uh, a little bit of Game of Thrones to kind of blame for this, although I can't say it's completely Game of Thrones because they certainly had their slow world world building moments, too, especially basically all of season one is, is world building. Um, I, I think people have kind of a lack of patience. And also, I think it's uh, kind of going to the uh, the binge model. Um Kind of like with Netflix, you get all your episodes at once. So if you've got those slow episodes, you can burn through them really quick and you can get right to those next episodes. Whereas when you have an episode that's or a show that's releasing week to week, which honestly is about the only way I can deal with most shows unless I'm watching it with someone. Uh, I, I'm thankful for it because then I can just go and devour it one at a time, give it the appropriate time of consideration um, now, granted, when I rewatch these, I kind of binge them all back to back, but that was for note taking purposes. And uh, it was more focusing on what I wanted to bring up here in this episode. And uh, I just I think that that's part of it. I think some people and, and I would say that the people that complain about those being slow are also people who probably and I don't mean this to be an insult to anyone who is like this, but I don't think they like to read necessarily like read fiction because 95% of fiction, the first several chapters of a book is all slow world building, giving you the necessary details for the later on actions of the story. And if you're not used to that type of format or that type of storytelling, it, it would be a little bit jarring, I guess. I guess, because like I said, I, I really enjoy it. I think that they're taking their time. They're because I feel like if they just jump straight into the deep end, we might be drowning later and like, well, why does the law of physics works this way on this? Or, you know, you've got to establish the rules of the world and how, you know, we engage with the world when you're creating this place. So even though like the Star Trek universe is a universe we know, we still need to understand like, where's Picard at? you know, in his life and how is he interacting with every, you know, cause he's an old man. Exactly. So it's, I think they're fascinating and interesting. And I actually have found now that like Disney plus has come out and released things week to week and CBS is releasing this week to week. I kind of enjoy being able to watch one episode at a time and then talk about it, like talk about it with you, yeah. talk about it with my friends, my family, and get their perspectives on, oh, I caught that. Did you see this? Oh, I totally missed it. I'm going to go back and watch it again. Right. And I and I think like this is the problem with a little bit immediate reviewers, too, because uh, like I, I kind of worry with here on the podcast, like I, I'm I'm a little bit behind on like when things come out. It's usually either I I'm getting it right when the next episode airs and then my podcast releases that next day. And I've got the previous week's episode, you know, covered, uh, primarily thinking about the show like the outsider, um, which airs on a Sunday and the podcast releases on a Monday that I'm kind of like a week behind or an instance like this, where, uh, I've waited three episodes to really kind of be able to have a chance to cover it. Uh, mainly cause you and I were working around on getting this set up and, um, 
and ha- and but yet having the time to be able to sit there, watch them when they air, think about them, like you said, discuss them with you or discuss them with other people that I can I can talk Star Trek with who would understand it, then revisit it and then have more of, I think, an informed opinion on how I truly feel about it, because I think after watching it once, you have your initial gut reaction, which is why I've done a couple um uh, re-reviews on the podcast before, namely with Captain Marvel, because when I saw Captain Marvel in theaters, I had my initial gut reaction and I was not a fan of it. I had a lot of issues with it, but then when it came out on home release, I gave it another chance. I rewatched it and I found I enjoyed it a little bit more. And it, and that's the thing of being kind of a little bit further removed from marketing and certain propaganda that's, you know, going out in the news and stuff and how people talk about these things. But I think when certain reviewers go and immediately release a review, like not even an hour after the episode airs, I don't think you're doing yourself enough justice because if you're if you're doing the note taking, which is notably the first episode of the podcast that I've actually gone down and really written down notes for stuff I wanted to talk about, um, you're focusing more on what points you want to make and you're not focusing on actually what's on the screen. And so I think something kind of gets lost there in translation, like in the instance where the one reviewer missed that number one was barking at Dosh as soon as she showed up, like he it fit his narrative of something he wanted to push about it, that it wouldn't bark at her because she was, uh, you know, an all powerful social justice warrior woman character. And, and instead, it was actually contrary to the fact it did what he said it should have done. And things were a little bit different around that narrative. So I think there's a problem when you do those kind of instant knee jerk reactions uh, to things when you watch them. I think you got to take enough time to absolutely consume them, chew on it a little bit, think about it, then report on it. And um, I do like that kind of with Mandalorian, they were releasing it week to week. I I was a little hesitant at it first because it was a Star Wars show and I wanted to devour it all at once. But I came to appreciate it more in when Pat and I were reviewing it here on the podcast for its first season. It was nice to be able to go, OK, I've got, you know, a week now before I have to worry about covering it so I can watch this a couple of times and really feel or see how I feel about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I agree um, with all of that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's that's good. Um, Well, I am definitely we're going to continue this on for the podcast. I think I'm going to have to do a separate episode for the other shows I'm going to uh, be covering because we've run a very long time on this. (laughs) Not that I'm upset. I think we had a lot of good conversation about it. I think it's very informative for people who aren't aware about Picard, but I think we're going to go ahead and call it a a day for this episode so i want to thank you for for coming on and thanks uh, for inviting me absolutely and we will have you on for for future reviews of the show um and we will you're going to be joining us for rebels or not rebels uh clone wars clone wars yes i'm so excited for clone wars same here uh so you'll be joining us for that and uh that will be pat will probably be joining us for those because i know he is intending to watch it as well and uh, so you'll be more uh, more prevalent on the podcast on future episodes. So thank you again. Uh, and if you guys aren't following the podcast, you can follow it on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google Play. I uh, believe we're on CastBox. Uh, you can follow us on social media on Twitter at Critics NT Cynics. 
can follow us on Facebook, uh, the Critics Not Cynics podcast. And if you want to write into the podcast, uh, you can write in at criticsnotcynics at gmail.com. We'd appreciate it if you run over to iTunes or any place that you can review your podcast and leave us a, a review and a rating. It helps kind of spread the word around. And feel free to share this episode out with your uh, Star Trek fans or friends. Uh, so we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>